My next guest on today's podcast is Scott Serboff. Scott is a general manager for North America at Deeping Source. I spent realistically almost the entirety of the last 20 plus years, 25 really, in security. And when I say security, I mean video surveillance. The Deeping Source as a company is focused on privacy and data ethics and really has done a lot of work in the entire privacy arena. With AI and technology becoming more prevalent, Scott has some amazing perspectives on video surveillance, the ethical part of you getting clicked and you not getting clicked or your videos being recorded. He has some amazing perspectives on that and if you want to know how privacy is either being butchered or being uh, being mishandled by a variety of institutions across the world, you should not miss this podcast. I would like to switch this because this podcast is all about you. Why music? And you dabbled into music. I was actually playing left-handed, the Jimi Hendrix style. Okay. I played for a year left-handed and my parents decided to buy me a guitar. Uh-huh. Which was on average about a hundred bucks more than the right-handed version. So they said, you're switching. Okay. No, I was forced to switch to right-handed. He's also a musician at heart and how his creative aspects really help him balance his professional aspect of his job, which is kind of tough when he's dealing with such a topic which is emerging as a lot of focus, but has a lot of gaps which need to be filled across the world. And if you want to know more about it, listen to this podcast and listen to this conversation which I've had with Scott and I'm sure you will learn a lot which I have done throughout this entire podcast. So without much further ado, let me get on with it. Hi Scott, welcome to Masters Decoded Season 3. Really glad to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Scott, uh, you know, and this podcast is going to be special and, you know, I would love to learn more from you because uh, you are a podcaster yourself and you have a podcast, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the privacy of me, which focuses on the topics of AI, data ethics and all of that. But we'll double click on it. Uh, but I would first want to know, how did the podcasting journey start for you? Well, so, you know, I'm old. And okay. the, 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 the podcasting stuff, it's interesting because... I, I started listening to podcasts mm-hmm. probably when everyone else did. Okay. And I discovered some, during COVID, and I discovered some that I really, really, really loved. Um, some, you know, sometimes it's, it's you hear things and you're like, oh, it's just people bantering. But um, Rachel Maddow does a great series of, of historically investigative podcasts. And there's mm-hmm. there's other ones that touch on topics that I happen to enjoy. And I've always wanted to do one. And, you know, it's funny, you struggle whenever you're podcasting it, 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 with the whole idea of why does anyone care what I have to say? Yeah. Um, I've been a musician my whole life. I've been, nice. yeah, I have, I have uh, professional recordings out and I've, I've played, you know, live more times than I can count kind of thing. So I use the sort of, well, I wrote music no one cares about, so I may as well say things no one cares about. The other part of it, there's two other parts. I mean, we have to be honest, right? It's a great way to help market your company, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, the topic on which privacy of me generally runs around, which is primarily AI, uh, round one is kind of ethics, and then it trails out from there 
is also, I think, hugely important given where we are today. So uh, you opened with the compliment on podcasting, but you've gotten me beat by probably, what, 200 episodes. No, so if no. anyone takes notes, it'll be me. No, no, uh, definitely it's not 200. Uh, running close to 100 episodes, but yeah, uh, it's it's been a fun journey, I would say, you know. Uh, like you, uh, you know, I also procrastinated for almost a year before I got started in 2020. Like, I used to take notes, I used to uh, think about, okay, what equipments, you know, how would people feel or hear my voice? Uh, I used to record, uh, I don't know if you've done that, my own voice and feel, okay, does it sound fine? Uh, so it was a exploration journey. Uh, and one day I decided, hey, enough is enough. Just let's just do it. Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, and yeah. so I rec my first two podcasts, I remember, were like two to five minutes. And I just put it up, didn't even uh. market it, didn't even share it. Uh, and that gave me a confidence and I said, okay, now let's get guests. And that's how the entire journey started. Uh, interestingly, the first two episodes, uh, which I've never marketed are the maximum listenership, which I've seen, uh, oh. and you know, sometimes things work differently when you realize, and, uh, you just have to keep going and keep doing rather Absolutely. than thinking, thinking too much about it. But so that's interesting. You started with the podcast, which was on the topic, which was of interest to you, which was privacy. And it's a very interesting name, privacy of me. Why privacy and why privacy of me, uh, which is more important? Like why specific to you or an individual from a privacy topic? So does anyone like the sound of their own voice recorded? Uh, I know that. <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. It's It's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. to to hear yourself and you know interestingly what gave me the vocal confidence i've done a lot of recording with other musicians and one of them encouraged me to sing on one of her projects and i, I don't believe i have a good voice but her encouragement and constant saying you know you have a nice sound to your voice etc kind of helped me figure well maybe it's okay mm -hmm. so let me let me go to your question so the privacy of me so i spent realistically almost the entirety of the last 20 plus years 25 really in security and when i say security i mean video surveillance security which you can wow. throw in access control and all sorts of perimeter detections and whatever and so i have this this whole background in in security mm -hmm. as as ai has become more prevalent and you start to see what is happening to privacy and data and and let me let me take a step back so there are companies out in the world like palantir voyager which thankfully is bankrupt is one of these where these companies have used fake social media accounts to create have you ever i assume you've you've played or heard of six degrees of kevin bacon yeah well it's it's the same concept right so I'll, I'll explain with an example. There was a drug dealer in San Diego who was a, a woman, equal rights, let's go, who's a woman who no one had ever seen. She had just sort of kept herself off social media, whatever. And the long and the short of it is the way that they were able to track her down was they, through the use of fake social media accounts from third parties like Voyager, they, wow. st they started friending people in her circle of really extended contacts 
eventually they found one person who had posted one picture of her from a high school prom or something. And they used that to find out who she was, tried to apprehend her. She'd already fled the country at that point. But that got me thinking. If it's, imagine you and I, either one of us standing on our front porch, talking to a police officer who's there because we happen to know someone Uh or worse. We know someone who knows someone. And so I just met you and you just met me. And of course, neither one of us has this in our, in our friend group, but we could be friends with someone who's friends with a really prominent terrorist or Uh neo-Nazi or something sad. I don't want someone knocking on my door. I don't want guilt by association. Yeah. So Voyager got me thinking, and as I rolled into AI, knowing how facial rec works, knowing that you have to train AIs and all these other things, uh-huh. I realized, well, you look at places like ImageNet, uh-huh. well, where did they get their, where did they get their pictures? Well, they scraped them off the internet over the last decade. They have arguably somewhere between two and three billion pictures. Uh-huh. 50% of the U.S. population has a photograph of them in a law enforcement database or a facial recognition database of some sort. Wow. I don't know about you. You you come to the U.S. all the time, so you, you get to be included in this. I don't recall giving anyone permission to use my face to train yep. AI. Mm-hmm. And the problems with this, they they go right to the core of this statement. I used to think, oh, if I walk around in London, England, which is at one point was the most surveilled city in the world, yep. I'm not doing anything wrong. What do I care if they take my picture? Uh-huh. That's not the right approach. It's just like the, the famous saying about all the guilty men who go free to protect one innocent person. There is no way to know what permission or lack thereof today will wind up doing tomorrow. Uh-huh. I have an extensive historical background. I spent the first three years of my work career running around the Eastern seaboard. I was actually doing a combination of Holocaust lecturing and public relations. That's a bad way to put it, but I was explaining to people how photography can be used to set your view of a person. You know, the scowling face versus the smiling face. Wow. And, you know, you you have events in history like in the early 1930s, as the Nazis came to power, there had they, they put out, you know, you had to fill out an identity card, uh-huh. name, rank, serial number, ethnic origins, etc. And people, this is well known, people, they, they put their religious preference. German Jews considered themselves German and a whole bunch of other stuff. Jew was way at the bottom. How many people filled those things out innocently? Yeah. And then... Years later, someone knocked on their door and said, you're one quarter Jew. Come with us. Yeah. I mean, what? You know, so it's a very long answer. And I apologize for that. No, but the, no, bottom no. Line, the bottom line is this. The you. So I, I happen to be a, a white Caucasian male. Yay for me. I just that means I had slightly more advantage than the next person. Right. You are Indian. Mm-hmm. There are African-Americans and, and Asians, et cetera. There is no secret that facial recognition databases are biased. Uh. It's no secret that they get, in fact, African-American women are misidentified somewhere close to 20% of the time. Oh, wow. 20%, two zero. Okay. Caucasian males, like 0.0059 or something ridiculous, right? Uh. And to put a cherry on top of all this horror, 
several facial recognition databases used for things like gang identification uh-huh. have no delete button. Once you're in it, you can't get out of it. Wow. How, how, meaning when you talk about these data and when you talk about all of this information, uh, what's the source? Define, define source. Like the verification source, like you said, 20% of African uh, American women. Oh, 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 I apologize. Yeah. No. So, no, no, good question. So, there are public studies that you can find online where third party researchers have gone into. These facial recognition databases, so let's, I'm sure you know, but for the sake uh-huh. of your audience, think of artificial intelligence, which is sort of a made up term and we all love it, yeah. but think of it like an infant. Uh-huh. Infants are smarter, by the way. But when you birth an AI, it doesn't know anything. Uh-huh. You have to teach it what you want it to know. Uh-huh. If you teach an AI to recognize green apples and you uh-huh. never show it a red apple, it will never identify a red apple. Mm-hmm. So all of the databases for the training of facial recognition are generally speaking publicly available or you can buy them. Uh-huh. Like ImageNet. Dependent third parties from Carnegie Mellon, which is one of the famous ones. Um, and just there's a couple of privacy consortiums that have done it, but they go and they get the same database and they test them. And they've reported on the places like Carnegie Mellon University. Uh-huh. They go. They they get their hands on these databases. They test them. They public. They public. They publish the results, and they. I think they do this almost every year. But there's multiple sources. All you have to do is Google it. If uh-huh. you Google, you know, uh, bias in facial recognition databases. The interesting thing about bias is you have to understand when you're looking at anything, a picture. Uh-huh. You have to categorize data. You cannot put a face in front of an AI without saying this is uh, not just a face. An African-American woman, Indian mm-hmm. male with who happens to be bald, a Caucasian male who's damn close to being bald. You have to identify that. Yep. You have to label mean, it. Yep. You have to label it, categorize it, right? So you have categorized, labeled and unlabeled, categorizing. Well, the bias of the people doing the categorizations mm-hmm. plays a role. Yep. Every AI that you and I will ever deal with started out life being told what to do by a person or people, mm-hmm. which means all those biases get baked in. And layer two of the bias is programmatic. If you and I are writing a program, a machine learning program, we have to make decisions about what it does. Mm-hmm. Those can be reflective of unknown personal bias. Mm-hmm. You add all those things together. We are all throwing ourselves at AI. Oh, it's this great thing. And and let me be clear. There are wonderful things that AI can do. Yes. And will do. Yes. But do do we really need to go running into it at 100 miles an hour when 50 miles an hour will get us there? Uh Maybe we can be a little more considerate of what might happen. Uh So... You know, uh, you bring up a very good point and you mentioned this. So there's one which is, like you said, if you're roaming the streets of London and you're getting clicked or if you're walking on the 7th Avenue of, of Manhattan and you're getting, you're getting clicked, 
you would wonder, hey, I've not done anything wrong. I'm walking around. So there is that aspect of privacy, which is being infringed without anybody's notice. And then there is the second part, which you touched upon, is the biasness of how the data gets processed. Now, where do you see governance needs to come in? Is it on both or is it only in one area? Because both it, are harmful. It has to be both. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't, this is a chicken and egg question. So let's just have both of them. Mm -hmm. So we need governance on how these pieces of data are collected. Mm -hmm. And sadly enough, it's really, I think it's, it is admittedly something of a pipe dream and you can never put a genie back in the bottle. So to some extent, I mean, we've had years of public photos and not, you know, interestingly enough in the U S the legal system is not even caught up today on these issues. The other side of the governance, I think is also equally important. Yep. You need, we need to have stronger controls over what can be done with what, let me give you an example in the United States in order for the police, I live in, in Texas. So any city yeah. agency, right? They can't surveil you and I or hell even me without a, a warrant, uh -huh. right? Without a court order. So they can't take my picture, record my voice, but you know what they can do? They can buy my picture. Okay. They can legally buy my photo from a third party. Bah. Even if they've been denied a search warrant for the okay. same thing. Now, legally, that's a big fat red flag. Mm -hmm. but it's still open. So police departments spend literally millions of dollars across the country buying databases from Palantir and wow. from and ImageNet. Mm -hmm. That may just be looking for me. What about the other 8,000 people that are in that data set? You know, you bring out a very good point about, you know, uh, like I have global entry and I, I, when I walk into United States, you know, I don't have to go through the customs. I just show my face. It automatically recognizes me. It's scary, right? And gives me a receipt and saying, you are good to go. Now, but what happens if it airs, you know, and that's where I always get worried. What happens if it airs? Either it's the processing error or it's a labeling error where I get tagged for something else. And I'm in an alien country now uh, without not much of rights. And I get either deported or I get apprehended at the airport. Now, mm -hmm. without even being asked anything, or at least I, the process of asking will come later. But the trauma which I would go through from from that apprehension to being, uh, you know, being asked can be a long drawn process. You never know, right? And that kind of puts things in a very scary situation, uh, you know, or if you are on Mopac, let's say in Texas, especially in Austin, yeah, you know, Austin. And, and you're speeding, let's say in one of the Mopac expressways and you get tricked with your photograph, right? Uh, not only your number, car number plate, which is okay, which is also infringing into personal privacy, but you, your face is getting clicked as well. So you, the legal says, oh, you need not deny that you were not there driving, but you know, these things are scary, right? But they are also there to protect the the civil society in many ways. So where does that boundary gets drawn? Oh. In, oh. Yeah. 
you know and i always say can you yeah. do it and the next question is should you do it uh, oh my god yeah so where is that boundary in all I of i have this? no idea i don't know neither do you no one does because that is a subjective opinion mm-hmm. so let's let's talk about global entry mm-hmm. for a second right so i have it too mm-hmm. when i land if it misidentifies me mm-hmm. and full disclosure right i'm an american citizen blah 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 i worry about how do i get it to not misidentify me how what is the process by which i have to go to customs and explain away this that and the other thing it, to make it so that they understand oh you're not that other person who's banned from flying uh-huh. because there is no easy mechanism to do that and i have personal experience with this because i was denied global entry for a legal issue that i have when i was 17 years old or something and even though that was a it was a juvenile thing it was adjudicated it was off the, supposed to be off records etc you know youthful indiscretion kind of thing nothing bad but it was enough to keep me from getting global entry it took months to clear it up mm-hmm. what happens if you're flying in from you know bangladesh or new delhi or whatever all across the world china and it sees your face now you are indian and so if the ai is bad at identifying individuals from india because mm-hmm. of the darker skin the different shape of the face whatever what if it thinks you're a bad person what the hell do you do yeah now the other direction is you know if i'm flying into anywhere uh-huh. what happens if the government doesn't want me there or worse my type of people uh-huh. in the 1980s ibm assisted the apartheid government of south africa in the creation of a database of south african blacks uh-huh. which is disgusting on every level of course volkswagen and the nazis and <laughs> but what if they don't want me there or they yeah. do because they're going to grab me you know, there, there are, okay, well, don't fly to that country, but how do you know? Yeah. How do you know? One of, one of the big brother scary things that I always worry about is, you know, Amazon has a store, they have multiple stores, but they have, I think it's in, in Seattle or Portland. Doesn't Amazon matter. Go? Yeah. Well, you know, you, you press your, you use your hand to pay, yeah. right? It's palm print payment. I wouldn't do it. The reason why I wouldn't do it isn't because I don't trust Amazon. Mm-hmm. I don't, but that's not the point. Is Amazon going to say no to a court order or a subpoena or somebody coming in with our still in existence uh, Patriot Act and say, we need all, we're looking for X. We know he was in there in April. We need every palm print from everyone that came in in April. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, something I didn't give permission for has now landed me as a 100% guaranteed in the database that I don't want to be in. Yeah. And that database can be sold or can be hacked or can be leveraged for many other things. Yeah, and now I want you to think about this. With the the expansion of the world through digital, Uh you and I are talking to each other in real time. With a uh, there's a a, there's clearly going to be a delay, but our technology is good enough now. Uh-huh. where the originating and terminating servers manage the delay against an atomic clock. So when your lips move, I'm hearing you in real time yeah. and vice versa. We, I don't know if we could have done this 
15 years ago, maybe 10, but not maybe not 15. No. Right? So the result is our world has gotten extraordinarily sm- small or large. Pick your way. It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. But what we've also done is we've created dozens and dozens of individual identities. So Anise has the identity of the podcaster and uh-huh. Scott has the identity of the musician. And Here's my point. I can combine those uh-huh. identities any way I want to paint a picture of a person. Uh-huh. If you went online and found photos of me in musical settings or whatever, and, and some certain writings I had done on Facebook 10 years ago, you could make me look like anything you want, a drug-addled musician, if that's what you wanted. <laughs> that's where, but that's where it worries me the most is because we don't control a lot of these identities and it only takes an, a purposeful or accidental misidentification to uh-huh. throw us into a complete tizzy over, what do you mean I can't do this or have that or whatever? Yeah. You know, And then you add into that, we talked about privacy, you started with that. If you give me enough data about another person, and I don't mean, uh, when I say enough, five points of data, like Amazon buying habits and Buff. whatever, I can probably find out where they live and mm-hmm. who they are, et cetera, because we're, it, it, it's so much out there. Yes. And so it's, that to me is the scary part. Now, when you, you, while we are talking about companies and governing bodies, is there a need for an education or at least awareness in the consumers like you and I? You and I, we live in that industry. We see what's going on and how that data or our information can be leveraged or misused both at the same time for our benefit or our not so benefits. Uh, you know, there's so many people just putting things out there naively without even realizing what they're doing, getting themselves. Now, people who are smart, like the the drug addict, exa- not, not the addict, the drug dealer example, which you gave, decided that they'll be completely off, off radar. Uh, but somehow they did come back. But let's say m- my children, our families, our friends are just letting it out there, right? We are all there. We think our information is private, but it's not. It's all out there. So how do you strike a balance there or create awareness? Because that's a big challenge because you and I, because we are in the industry, we can be aware of what we should be doing and what we should be worried about. But if I look at my mother, I don't think so she's aware of it or she knows about the challenges. So fantastic question. And I hope that your podcast and mine and anyone else's that does what we do deals mm-hmm. with this because education is the single most important part of this. Look, AI allows me to use my voice to type and I have bad hands. And so it's been super helpful, mm-hmm. but I know how it works. I know mm-hmm. that every time you use chat GPT, you're training chat GPT for free, but using whatever you tell it, whatever you type in, doesn't matter. Every right. time you do an uh, image creation on Microsoft Designer, you're teaching it. That's why it asks you, is this what you wanted? Is this close? Is this not close? But if everyone understood what AI was and is and how it was created, my, at least at least we would all be walking into the future with our eyes open. We'd recognize what we were doing and where we were going. Right now, we're not. Uh-huh. We are we are 
we used to in the security industry giggle about the, what we call the CSI effect. <laughs> People would say, well, can't you do, you know, take a tiny drop of blood and pick out the killer and bond Germany? I mean, just ridiculous stuff, right? Yeah. Or the minority report Tom Cruise, you know, with the TV screens and the future and all that. But it was real because people didn't know. They uh -huh. didn't know any better. They don't understand things like, in order for my company to do what we do, we need a server that has eight NVIDIA GPUs in it for all of the intensive math that has to be done in the background. Oh. We have to educate people. We Whether it's, I mean, when I was at high school, which was, you know, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, we had home economics. Well, maybe we need uh -huh. a, comp a, you know, a, a computer course that is kind of like you know uh, how how computers work something really basic that just explains to people this is what you, what you see as magic uh -huh. really is this yep. and i hope that most people are quick enough lazy is a different discussion to understand if you start laying it out for them oh so this is how it works and then they can have the light bulb go off on oh crap that may not be great yep it's got to be education. Yeah, and just pivoting a little bit because you've been in this industry for two decades now. You've seen video surveillance transform being human-driven to now machine-driven. These issues which you're talking about, people being mistagged or you know incorrectly managed in the way their surveillance is being reported, video surveillance has been there, but the only difference is the scale it has reached and the misinformation or the biasness, because when people were manually doing surveillance, like people actually watching reams or videos or watching live, there was a little bit judgment, human judgment, which may, uh, which was wrong also. It's not always 100%, but there was a make or checker and you know there was less of false positives, I would use that word. But today, the number of false positives are also very high. So do you think is technology just that video surveillance, which was a good thing, has now converted into being a bad thing in many no. ways? No, I, I don't I don't think it has necessarily yet converted into a bad thing because it's a tool uh -huh. just like firearms and knives and fire and and whatever are tools. So what is a decision? What is a human decision? If not a collection of experiences that gives us an idea of the answer. Uh -huh. So it is paralyzingly hot in New Delhi in the summer, right? Yes, it is. If a person walked into a crowded marketplace wearing a giant black duster and with a huh. big backpack on, right? Yeah. Best of luck you, with that. You might think that there's something weird because it stands out as abnormal. Yeah. Right. You're look. We as humans, we look for the things that that stand out. Mm -hmm. What's, what doesn't belong? That's how I've taught my kids for situational awareness. What doesn't belong here? Yeah. Right. Now, again, education. How does an AI make a decision? AI does the same thing that a NTP network time protocol did. It is in NTP. It's called a confidence level. AI might call it the same thing. No AI is telling you with certainty something. Uh -huh. is it's telling you as a percentage you may it's, not see it yeah but it so chat how does chat gpt work it's predictive because based on everything it knows uh -huh. if you say c spot chat gpd is going to guess the next word is run uh -huh. because 
87.42% of the time, that's the next word. Mm -hmm. If you put jump, it will add that in. And as the percentage goes up and where AI starts to get really good is you have C-spot run in a giant paragraph. That means there's lots of predictive information. It'll get it right more often than if it's just two words, C-spot line, right? Mm -hmm. It's a confidence level. AI is so much better than we are at this for two reasons. It can see everything that's ever happened all at once, and it can compare everything, neither of which we're very good at. Uh -huh. Humans can't stare at video for very long before their eyes glaze over and they just start missing the most basic things. AI doesn't suffer from that. But what AI doesn't do is what we do really well, and I'll try to explain it like this. And AI write a love song. It can. Has AI, well, hold on. Can it? Has an AI ever had its heart broken? No. Nah. Has an AI ever won the lottery? No. Nah. Has an AI ever stood over a, its newborn son and then 15 years later watching him play football or soccer or whatever your sport of choice is, right? AI hasn't, so I would argue it can't. Now, okay. it, of course it can, strictly speaking, right? What's your favorite piece of music? That. You have a song? Uh, Less important is why. Why is why is why is one style or one piece of music your favorite? It's probably the 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 music which is pleasing to the ear. It's the the words which I can understand rather than you know some other song types which I can just hear the music or somebody rambling some words and it's difficult for me to hear. I'm getting old, so I would love to yeah. hear. I would love to hear music which I can at least understand the essence of what the, the musician is trying to tell or the artist is trying to tell or express. Okay. Have, I don't know about you, but I know when I was young, you know, when you broke up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever, every song on the radio had something to do with it, right? Yes. It just, it was like magic. Yeah. Open arms from journey would come on and, hey. and blah, blah, blah. The thing, the thing that AI can't do is that mm -hmm. it can't express emotion in an artistic format, mm -hmm. which in my in my mind means it can't deal with subtlety and nuance and intuition and instinct. Not yet. Uh -huh. Not yet. It'll get there, at least as far as visual is concerned. It'll get there. And I'm not sure that anyone could properly define the nuance I'm talking about. Right? Uh -huh. um, I, I, I'm mostly a what's called symphonic metal guy, but I go all over the map and I do really enjoy classical. My favorite classical piece is is somewhat stereotypically Gustav Holst, The Planets. Okay. And the reason, if you ever heard it, have you ever heard it? No, I haven't. Okay. He wrote, he wrote a symphony where every passage of the symphony is a planet. So Mars, mm -hmm. Venus, Earth, right? Very interesting. Roman, Roman God, right? Okay. So Mars, bringer of war, Venus, bringer of love. You get the idea. And they're all perfect. The, the Mars is real martial and and done, 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 done kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Star Wars in, in, in Darth Vader. And then Venus, the bringer of love is all cute. And it's perfect. It is musical. The musical embodiment of what I visualize Aphrodite looking like. Okay. Venus, Venus in the Roman case. A, I can't do that yet. I don't think. Okay. So when you look at video surveillance to trail way back, when you look at video surveillance, AI can only tell you, for example, there's a 82% chance that that person is carrying an AR-15. Uh -huh. A human 
today can probably look at it and say, oh yeah, that's an AR-15, which is why your verification trail would be AI identification, human verification, verification. or or non-verification, right? I'd rather make the mistake and say, it's a gun and act accordingly and then say, nope, that's a broom handle. It's all good. Yeah. Right. Or, or even worse, it's an AR-15, but it's got an orange barrel, which means it's a, so, it's a, dummy. It, it's fate. It's, yeah. it's a dummy thing. Or it's a Nerf gun that looks just like an AR-15. Uh-huh. And you have a human that's doing the verifying because there are subtleties there, right? That, that maybe the AI can't get yet. So not, not yet. Where I struggle is, morally speaking, where I struggle uh-huh. is where is that line between let me put it another way. How much, what price am I willing to pay for safety? Yeah. I don't blame. There is none. Well, um, I have kids. I I didn't ask you if you had kids as well. Yeah, I do. Okay. So is, I mean, if you and I were the last two families on earth and there was one sandwich, you would do everything to make sure your kids got it just like I would. Nobody argues that point. If you lived in Germany in 1930, you gave up the freedom of the press for food, I'd have done it too. What's that? What's the, where do you draw the line and say, you know what? I don't, it's this, I, I would risk the lot, literally mm-hmm. the safety of my family because the alternative is worse. Uh-huh. I like the idea of having a, a doorbell camera. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of the police being able to access those cameras without permission. Yeah. Like they did with Amazon Ring. Yeah because I don't want my kids or yours to grow up in a police state. Mm-hmm. So that's such an individual question. You can't go all the way. If you take every protection away, mm-hmm. then what you have is a lawless society. And I'm good with law. I like law. Mm-hmm. Laws are important. But you asked about governance. Maybe what we truly need is some sort of up-level governing body that can, much like an FDA, a Food and Drug Administration, for those who don't know, who sort of looks at all of this yeah. and and guardrails it for us. That's right nice. now, right now, someone is out there in the world writing a machine learning program that is neo-Nazi. Uh-huh. We can't stop it. There are already neo-Nazi video games out the wazoo. Right. Yeah. Some it, that's is this that's just physically disgusting. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. But there's no law. There's no law against it. Yeah. There's literally no law against it. Right. You live in a part of the. Where, what part of India are you in? In Mumbai. How far is that from the Pakistani border? Uh, it's far, but by water, it's very near. Okay. That's what and happened. For, uh, uh, I I don't want to talk about the geopolitical issues but yeah that's why india got attacked uh, and mumbai got attacked because we had these exigencies coming in from the water from the neighboring country and uh, we don't know whether it was pakistan or somewhere else but uh, the press would tell you everything but uh, they came through water and they had people getting killed because they were roaming around with arms in the streets of mumbai and killing people happened to us and because where you live is is unfortunately like the Middle East, a bit of a powder keg. Yeah. What happens when deep fakes are used 
to stoke those tensions, to make them worse. What happens next year when we're having a presidential election mm -hmm. and there's a video comes out of President Biden, you know, kissing a, a young boy or something sick. There's going to be a segment of the incredibly purposefully unintelligent American population who just buys it. Yes. We need a governing body. We need specialized protection. I have talked about using blockchain verification in video to uh -huh. assure the providence uh -huh. of the video. You and I can't help people who are going to say, oh, it's fake. And you prove it. And they say, well, then the proof is fake. They're lost causes. But we should be, do and we're not. Yeah. So what the hell are we going to do when these deep fake videos and photographs and all the rest, the Pope and the white puffy jacket, which I will remember until the day I die, yeah. become, what do we do when that's prevalent? Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate that, you know, I always give this reference, like you also gave a reference, like of firearms and knives and fire. I give a reference of the same situation that you take a syringe and you give it to a doctor and you give it to a terrorist, it's a tool, one can save life, and the same tool can kill somebody. Agreed. And 100% right. Bet. Everything like this is a tool, though. And yeah. the application of tools, look, I enjoy going to rifle ranges and shooting guns. Uh -huh. I like it. I Strangely enough, I find it very, very relaxing. It's probably because you're responsible for so much destructive power and it's fun to see if you can hit the little tiny circle that's a hundred yards away. Yeah. But, but I have no, there's no doubt in my mind that I would never, ever want to shoot another person. Mm -hmm. I just, it, every part of me says that's bad. And in fact, that's how most people thankfully are, but it's a tool. Yes, it is it a tool. It is a tool. I can kill you with a shovel. Mm -hmm. I can also dig a hole in the ground or mm -hmm. dig a water well, right? And I know it's a, it's, it's a trope and it's, I understand that, but the bottom line is we, everything we have in our lives is a tool. We could actually use a tool, a podcast tool to try and see someone kill or kill themselves. People have done it. Yeah. Um, the Pizzagate thing from, you know, the guy who walked into the Domino's or whatever it was with yeah. a gun, he was radicalized into it. And I, I, I've been saying this, I will keep saying it. I'm sure no one's listening, but I'll say it anyway. We saw what happened with Facebook, et cetera, all of which started out innocently and humor. I mean, Zuckerberg wanted to meet girls. Uh -huh. Let's let's remember that Facebook started out as a way to rate women yep. at what Yale or wherever he was, Harvard, doesn't matter. Howard. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. It, it, it started out with, as a college kid wanting to meet girls and, you know, and get a date. Uh-huh. There's no way he sat in his dorm room and said, I'm going to affect a presidential election in 15 years. Yeah. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't. And we hope that if he had, he would have been like, yeah, this is a terrible idea. Uh -huh. So here we have this perfect roadmap of what not to do with a tech. And we're ignoring it when it should be applied to AI. Uh -huh. there, to me, there's no question about that, but we're so focused on the whole moving fast, breaking thing nonsense that we're virtually guaranteed to wind up looking back and going, oh crap, we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And this methodology of going fast and breaking things, unfortunately, have not been taken out of the systems where those have been broken so that somebody can relook and fix them or even completely delete them. 
as the word you use. But I would like to switch this because this podcast is all about you. Why music? And you dabbled into music and you said you sang yeah, you a song. Yeah. Okay. So, we can go light. So, so look, so I, like Mark Zuckerberg, wanted to meet girls. So, <laughs> so you, you said why music? So we'll go a little lighthearted here for, for the, for the listeners. So sure. I am, I am, as I said, I am a Caucasian male. I am 54 years old. I mm-hmm. am of, you know, five foot 10 and, and relatively average. So when I was young, I went to a bar mitzvah of all things. Okay. And there was an, there was an air guitar contest going on. Okay. Air guitar. In bar mitzvah. In the bar mitzvah, you know what the DJ yeah. had his had his had his shtick, and it was an air guitar contest, which I won. And the the way that the little girls treated me, I thought, well, I know rock stars get girls. Uh-huh. If I could do it in air guitar, okay, I can definitely do it with a real guitar. Uh-huh. So I begged my parents. I, I was actually playing left-handed, the Jimi Hendrix style. Okay, I played for a year left-handed. And my parents decided to buy me a guitar, uh-huh. which was on average about a hundred bucks more than the right-handed version. So they said, you're switching. Okay. So I was forced to switch to right-handed. Okay. But all along as I was walking to the forum, a funny thing happened. I realized I really enjoyed the music and I became less interested in the let's meet chicks and more interested in the, oh, this is, this is really the art of music. Yeah. The art of it itself. Now I, I will say this without any self, I'm not bragging. I think I'm good at it. And mm-hmm. if I am or not, it's art. All artists want one of two things. You like it or you hate it. Just don't have no opinion, right? I need yep. you to have some response to it. So I've been lucky. I've had great support in my my musical journey. I've been recorded. I've played with people. All the bands I listened to as a, as a teenager and in early 20s and the 80s, I've, I've played with or opened for. Oh, nice. During the, you know, I played on stage with, with, one of the guitar players from Y&T as a supporting guitar player for his band. It's been fun, right? Uh-huh. And it allowed me to fulfill a whole lot of childhood dreams. Uh-huh. And it is a creative release. The ability to sit in a room and create music is a release. Uh-huh. You know, it's like everyone has to have a hobby. That one's yeah. mine. Yeah. So, that's the answer. And you, you are dealing with so much of, in like the last 40, 45 minutes, we've spoken a lot about things which are not going right in the world, yeah. using data yeah. and tech. And like you said, music allows you to have that creative release or, you know, just have and balance your mental well-being and emotional well-being at the same time, right? So do you play on 6th Street? Have you played on, have you had gigs on 6th Street? Yes, way back when I was in college, I played live on Sixth Street, um, and uh, you know, as a when I left college, I didn't really play for twenty or so years, and when I got back into it, I played all over Dallas. Okay, opened for all it was, and if I said this, forgive me, but all of the bands that I loved as a kid uh-huh. opened for all of them. We even did a sideshow uh, for Journey and Ario Speedwagon or Def Leppard. I can't remember. Um, a side stage show at fair, what used to be fair park mm-hmm. in Dallas. I don't know what the heck they call it today, but I got unbelievably lucky. Mm-hmm. My musical renaissance okay. happened between 40 and 54. Wow. That's amazing. At that age. Recording, 
guitar collection, building a home studio, performing live, going to the NAM show, which is the National yep. Association Music Merchant Show uh, as an artist and as a, a manufacturer's representative for a guitar company, uh, Aristides Guitars. All of that happened between 40 and 54. That's beautiful. You know, and, it, it really is. And I was telling the students when I was meeting them today, right? Many of us, you know, we forget our passions as we get into corporate life. And, uh, you know, work work takes on, life takes on. We forget these passions. And somewhere there is a linkage between our passions and our job and our choices, which we make in our careers as well. And that defines us. And we, But we often forget that. What got you back to that age of 40 that, hey, I want to get back to music? And that's something which I would love to know. Oh, my gosh. Let's see if we can figure it out because I don't know if I have a direct answer. I mm -hmm. had, I never, I never wasn't a okay. guitar player. I would take out the guitar and I would play it and I had fun with it, but I don't know why. One day I turned to my wife and I said, I think I want to try to find a band just for fun. And she said, yes, and go for it. And there, there's a, uh, there's a band dating site called band mix. Okay. You put it. Right, you put up her profile, and other people go, "Oh, let's talk to this guy about playing in her band." I had a couple of responses, and they were awful. And I was just about to give up, and a guy named Jody Rummel, who had this this silly little cover band called Steel Machine in Plano, Texas, suburb of Dallas, reached out, and he sent me the list of songs to play, and it was all the classic rock, you know, Van Halen and Black Sabbath and Rat and this, that, and the Iron Maiden and whatever. And I went to play. And two songs in, he looked at me and said, do you want the part? Do you want the, 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 the gig? You know, we meshed perfectly. Okay. We, we both got recruited into an originals band. The, the singer of that band grabbed me and said, I want you to come play. And I was, I wanted to stay with you, but I always wanted to do originals. I, I never liked the idea of playing other people's music. And unbeknownst to me, he was also recruiting Jody. So we wound up going to this band called Legacy. Okay. And then to continue the the beauty of your your comment, we went into Legacy, and then I Jody had had to move out of the out of the state. He brought in another guy named Chris Siggins, and I played with the same core group of guys for seven years, and it was no drama. Everyone had gas money, all the tropes, all the 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 pre none of those existed. We all really liked each other as musicians, created some really good, fun, enjoyable to play. Uh -huh. music might have also been and you made a comment we forget our passions well if you are listening to this podcast or you're talking to anisa you're talking to me or who it doesn't matter i don't care how enmeshed you are unless you're doing what you're passionate about for work yeah. which is unbelievably cool do something that has passion as a motivation uh -huh. because they are intertwined so what i do today I'm sitting in this, in this studio, but I do videos and I do podcasting and I create marketing materials. In other words, I create art. Uh -huh. I've even written theme music nice. for things that I've done. So it might be that at about the time I was getting back into music, I was also heavily involved in creating the market presence for the company I was with at the time. Uh -huh. So that creativity probably stoked a fire of creativity that said, we need music uh -huh. to be a part of this. Cause that's where your true creative passion lies. Uh -huh. My wife has always wanted me to write and I'm 
I she thinks I think I'm a pretty good writer, but it doesn't move me the same way that music does. Uh-huh. I speak with notes, not words. So as you asked me the question, I was thinking about it. I would I think the direct answer is what I was doing in my nine to five earn money job, so to speak, although you and I have never had nine to five jobs. No. What I was doing to earn money uh-huh. pushed the creativity button that drove me back into music. And, you know, kind of going back into the tech space, now you mm-hmm. hear Chad GPD writing songs or writing poems or, you know, doing variety of cool stuff. Uh, and you were talking that, you know, you've been part of the band, which was all originals. How do you feel about that? You know, you being an artist, being a creative person who's always focused on what's that original focus. And now, now, you know, yeah. it seems original, may not be original. It may be some plagiarism which is going on in the back end. What do you feel about that as an artist? So l- let's unpack that. Mm-hmm. Getty Lee, who is the singer and bassist for Rush, mm-hmm. said... We are all, we all plagiarize because uh-huh. we don't know that we're doing what we're doing. So what that means is this, I consider as a guitar player, my, my number one favorite guy is Alex Lyson, who's a guitar player from Rush. But if you listen to me play, you'll hear little bits and pieces of everyone that I've ever been influenced by. Okay. So fundamentally speaking, I'm stealing little bits of all my influences. Every time I write, I just don't know I'm doing it. Hmm. I'm that, right? So, well, imitation is flattery. Yeah, it is. I, I wrote a song called Lifeson's Chord, which is a, it's dedicated to Alex Lifeson, and it uses a chord he's famous for, the Lifeson chord, but F-sharp thing uh-huh. that's not important, but um, I used it on purpose because it is his. So how do I feel about it? Well, I think that someone's going to win a Grammy having written a song that's purely AI, uh-huh. right? And I am okay with that because if I know it's an AI-created piece of music, well, why is that art any different than art I create? Uh-huh. It's one thing if you steal it. So if I say to chat GPT, sorry, if I say to not chat GPT, if I say to chat GPT for music, uh-huh. write me a song in the style of Edward Van Halen. Uh-huh. And... It has only ever heard Edward Van Halen. I owe his his estate royalties, in my opinion, because it's only a mouth. But if I have allotted to listen to every guitar player in the history of the instrument for whom there is recorded music, then I say, write a song. And it uses all of those influences. It's doing the same thing I would do. Uh And as long as we could identify that music as... Created by AI? Okay. Okay. I wonder, are we heading towards a world where the, you know, you know, you have that made in the USA, made in India, made in China, and there's, there's for some reason, there can be a better price on one versus the other. Yeah. Are we heading for a world where we have, this song was written by a human mm-hmm. being a premium product. And this song was written by AI being the basic product, the standard that's a very interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, I don't have the answer uh, which one is going to be better, but premiumization is going to be uh, critical. And yeah, meaning you just said something and I, it will take, take some time to think about it, but no, that's a <laughs> wonderful thought. Uh, and 
you're right. Maybe we are moving in that direction, which is uh, going to differentiate us versus technology uh, more so than anything else. Well, does it does it matter to you if you heard a great pop song? Mm-hmm. Right, you were dancing, you're jumping up and down. It's instrumental. You loved it. It 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 resonated with you. And then yeah. I said, "Yeah, my computer wrote it." Would yeah. you care? No, I don't care. And in fact, I'll take a parallel example today. I don't know if you've dabbled your hands in Midjourney or Leonardo.ai or any of these platforms. And you see some of the artwork there. It's so beautiful. I've created some artwork and I'm proud of that. It's so beautiful. Now, in my wildest dreams, if I had taken a paint and brush, would I have (laughs) ever done that? The answer is no. Uh, But it does appeal a lot of the creative aspect it helps me. Uh, so uh, I'll just use the mid-journey example in this case because I'm spending a Please. lot of time and energy on this. Is I am actually my creativity is in the thought, not in the creation. The creation is by AI here. My creativity is in the thought and the prompts which I'm giving. Right, like what can I imagine and something so profound. And I can keep refining it till my thoughts become actually what I see life. Yes. Right? It's yes. almost like dreams. You know, we all dream. Some are real and some are not. Many of them are not. 99% of them are not. It's almost like you're daydreaming on a computer, on a machine, and it's actually making those dreams live in front of you. So, you know, that's what I see it as, as something which is helping me uh, get that creative juices flowing as I am able to really leverage it to my best best needs so so think about this and i happen to agree with you but think about this so first of all you have a creative mind but Mm -hmm. you you lack the ability to translate what your brain is seeing through your hands yeah does that matter and here's what i want you to here's the example i want to give you you can chew on this so there was a there is a guy called jason becker Mm-hmm. Jason Becker was a part of a band called Cacophony in the early 80s. Not important. What is important, he's an unbelievably brilliant guitarist. I mean, just once in a generation. Okay. He was stricken with a degenerative, I believe, neuromuscular condition where he lost the ability to play the guitar, among many other basic functions. Wow. But you know what? He didn't lose his mind. So he j- he came out with an album two or three years ago. Yeah. You might be thinking, well, how did he play? He didn't play. He wrote it. He had other people play it. Wow. Is it any less, is it any less him, et cetera, because he didn't actually play the notes? No. No. If, if I write and I've written symphonic music and if I write symphonic music using what are called virtual instruments, uh-huh. is it any less compositionally wonderful because I didn't play the violin? No. Sorry. No. If you hired an orchestra to play what you wrote, there is no difference between that and using a virtual instru- orchestra, sorry, to play the notes that you wrote. It's not. <laughs> Doesn't mean the music's good or bad. It, yeah. But there, I've never bought into this whole idea of, oh, if you're not doing it in the perfect old-fashioned way, you're faking it. No, you're not. It's just yeah. silly. I, I mean, it's just, no. Yeah. The, the bottom line is, what appeals to you and what appeals to me belongs to us. If you don't like it, that's totally cool. Yeah. But it's okay if you, this art you created with Midjourney is just as artistic as if you had done it with crayons or paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 
it's in fact it's working reverse for me uh but recently i've realized i can do finger painting now oh, nice. that that thought and that only creative aspect has come out is because uh i have actually been able to dabble my hands and really get my creative juices flowing through mid journey again so you know people will talk negative too much about it but i have so much of positive flair at least maybe i'm biased because of the the use of tech uh, uh i'll take the bias it's a healthy bias yes so i believe it's helping me so uh, and people who are listening should you know not think about it negatively like we discussed it's a tool use it positively it will help you positively if you use it negatively or with mal intentions it will do its own accord right what it has to do but we, nevertheless we don't, yeah don't we all sit i mean to put a cap on that i mean we if if i had a thorny business problem and i said hey and these would you sit down with me and these eight other people what are we doing we're brainstorming to get <laughs> multiple minds to work on it because we're trying to break through something or come up with something new if AI was in the room and it was representative of tens of thousands of people it's just the same thing maybe it gives us an idea that we hadn't considered and then we run with it and create the thing we were trying to do interesting scott this has been an amazing conversation i've learned a lot and i got reeducated on privacy as a subject uh-huh. and uh, the art as a subject uh, so thank you for spending time today it's been an absolute honor And next time I'm in there in Austin, Texas, my second home, I'll definitely give a shout out to you. Yes. Please, please do. I we can love to sit down and have a hamburger or win sure. what not with you. I'll even pay you Tuesday for it. And that's a, <laughs> it sorry, it was a Popeye yeah. reference there. Yeah. Absolutely a pleasure, very unique conversation. I enjoyed sort of bouncing around on all these different topics and, you know, I'm not important individually, but these some of these topics really really are. Yeah. And if you hear this and you think that the ai stuff touched you then you know tell people just get a little bit of education D- don't don't jump off the cliff until you know what's on the on the bottom basically may not be water and i appreciate you having me on thank you very very much thank you scott for your time and you have a good rest of the day you too Thank you.